Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Orlando Crowcroft, world editor at IB Times UK. Welcome back to In the Field, a podcast where each week we speak to correspondents and stringers aid workers and analysts across the globe reporting and working on the stories that matter. This week we're taking a look at Iraq and speaking to our very own Callum Patton, a senior foreign reporter at IB Times UK who recently spent 10 days in the southern cities of Karbala and Najaf and the capital of Baghdad. During his time in Iraq, Callum visited the families of fighters killed during Iraq's war against ISIS, and we learned about the efforts to heal the divide between Iraq's Sunni and Shia population. We're also speaking to John Reynolds, a freelance journalist, about his research into issues of corruption in southern Iraq, and particularly in Basra. It was concerns about corruption that brought thousands of Iraqis onto the streets in Baghdad in May 2016, and, John explains, could bring them out again this summer. So we're speaking to Callum Patton. He's a senior foreign reporter at IB Times. He is currently in Karbala. He's been in Iraq for about a week. Um, Callum, tell us a little bit about what's going on where you are. I know that the areas you're in are predominantly Shia areas, so they're perhaps a little safer than up north in Mosul. Um, but of course, there's also been a lot of challenges. So what, yeah, what's, what's going on really in the, in the part of Iraq that you're in at the moment? Yeah, so like you've said, I'm in Karbala, which is um, kind of... I guess part of the the Shia heartlands in the in the in the south of the country. So this city, um, Najaf uh, and Kufa, all of which are in the south and have kind of majority Shia populations, weren't at any point overrun by Islamic State and haven't seen haven't seen a, a great deal of the fighting between 2014 to now. But by nature of the fact that they are Najaf is the is the capital is the is the Shia the Shia population's capital in Iraq, and um, all of these places have shrines and 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 other holy places. So and they and they have a a lot of a lot of pilgrims coming in and out, not just from Iraq but also from from Iran. So these people are also targets for the Islamic State. So so while there hasn't been um, there hasn't been conventional fighting as such, there have been. Um, fairly frequent uh, suicide bomb attacks targeting the civilian populations here and trying to brew more of that sectarian violence and drive a wedge between the Shia and Sunni populations wherever wherever they can. And it's, um, it's an interesting year that you're there because, of course, it's been 10 years now since the worst of the kind of Shia-Sunni sectarian fighting. I mean, how fresh is that in people's memories, particularly given the kind of anti-Shia rhetoric of, of ISIS? 
going back to the, the 2006 sectarian war and also the 2003 U.S. coalition invasion, that's when there, were, there was a lot of violence and fighting here. Uh, Muqtada al-Sadr's Jaish uh, al-Madani was, was very, very active in, in and around here. It's, a, you know, the, the Shia fighters who supported him, are, you know, many of them are, are drawn from these Shia heartlands. So while uh, in this kind of most, most recent round of violence around the Islamic State, well, that's mostly been in the north and in the Sunni Triangle, the sectarian violence and, and, the, and the memories of fighting in Karbala and uh, Najaf are kind of you know, are very, very much there. Um, all of the Iraqis that you speak to, you get a, a real sense of how of how much they've been through, not just over the last ten years, but the the last you know the last fifteen years, and what an impression that's made on the whole community. And then even even before two thousand and three, you have the Shia uprisings in nineteen ninety one, which were kind of part and parcel of the Gulf War. So. These are the communities that really felt that they were that they were uh, abandoned by uh, by the United States um, yeah. because they were expecting to they were expecting help in overthrowing Saddam and then they were they were punished for that. So this is kind of fight against Islamic State, which Iraqi authorities are trying their very best to show in the least uh, the least sectarian terms as they can is still part and parcel of a of a of a, of a long history of 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 this kind of violence. I mean, I was interested, your, your recent piece for us from Samara the, was very interesting on a lot of levels. But I mean, the, the character of the, uh, the, the grave digger, I think you met, um, when he, he'd actually been up and fought against ISIS. So I suppose a lot of the Shia are kind of doing their times with the militias and going up, fighting and then coming back. So this is, that's the, the laborer who was the laborer, that's right, yeah. from Basra. Yeah. What has surprised me is the number of people that you speak to who particularly in i guess late 2014 when islamic state was really was really almost knocking on the door of uh, of baghdad how many people went and fought and i think this has everything to do with the fatwa that um, ayatollah sistani gave in 2014 when for the first time the, the highest shia authority in iraq asked people to go and fight against Islamic State. And he said, um, your first priority above anything else is to go and fight for the homeland. So, you know, this is this is Iraq, where a lot of people have, in, have been involved in a lot of, you know, really gritty fighting for a long time. But in 2014, you have people who have never picked up a gun before going and fighting against Islamic State. And and the, the, the religious aspect of this and the importance of the of the fatwa on the faith, I think, is also you see this because I've I've spoken to two imams who have also who also when this fatwa was made went and fought as well. So so everyone felt that they that they needed to go and do this, and and that no one was um, was going to be left out. So also kind of presents some challenges for the country when you've when, when suddenly you have so much of the population that that has been involved in fighting and is and is aligned even in a, in a casual way with, with some sort of armed formation or armed militia. Yeah, but the interesting thing was that the same guy, the labourer, at the end of your piece, he said how, how he didn't have a sectarian attitude towards it. And that's something I think that people will be really looking forward to when ISIS is, you know, eventually pushed out. Will this kind of, the fact that many Shias have, been, have gone to fight in Sunni areas, will this lead to a, even more division in Iraq? So 
I mean, people people here now at the moment are really saying, and this is, I think, a, I think a lot of national pride was lost in 2014 when ISIS was able to take over so much of the country so quickly and so easily, and you saw the Iraqi army just sort of fading into the desert and running away. And now, after kind of a, a string of victories across the country, and with, and I mean, everyone is kind of waiting for Mosul to fall. I know that I know that the offensive has has stalled. But I think that it, it really gave people a lot of their pride back. And at the moment, with a um, with a kind of common enemy, which is which is something that I've seen in in other countries with this kind of conflict, with a, with a common enemy, it is true that uh, Shias are fighting alongside Sunnis and and alongside Christians, and that they and at the moment these guys are happy to fight in brigades where they where they have flags and they have where, which have Shia iconography on them. And, and also, the sectarian divisions in Iraq are not, have not always been um, as as bad as they were certainly in 2006. And things that maybe you wouldn't see every day. I mean, there's lots of intermarriage between uh, Shias and Sunnis. So on, on a kind of on a on a normal every everyday level, there isn't the, the the baying for blood that you might see reported in the press. But I think at the moment they have a common enemy that's united them. And it will be, and it's, and it will be interesting to see how these now very powerful Shia militias, what role they play, how how they're used, and whether maybe not two months after most all falls, but a year, a year and a half, when when there hasn't been the reconstruction that people are expecting, things aren't going as well as you might have expected before. It's, it's how you heal those rifts and divisions. And there's also a lot of tribal violence, particularly in Saladin and, and Anbar province now that they've been liberated. Right. Um, because some tribes are seeing as, as having supported the Islamic State or as being collaborators. I was in an internally displaced people's camp and um, there, are, there are refugees there from towns like Ramadi and Fallujah um, who, are una- who are unable to return home, not because, and you know they left two years ago, so they weren't. They obviously weren't collaborating with the Islamic State, but because they are from a tribe which has been accused of helping ISIS, they they can't go back to where they're from for for fear of reprisal. So there's a whole Pandora's box of challenges for yeah. for Iraq after uh, Islamic State is defeated, and while the fighting's going on in the north. In Baghdad, particularly, those are those are things that they're trying to to get a, get a handle on. And talk to us a, bit, a little bit about. I mean, how does cities like Baghdad, Kabbalah? How does it feel to be there? I mean, is is there a heavy security presence? Do you really feel like you know that it, these are cities under siege, or are they relatively you know free to move around and so on? So Kabbalah and uh, Najaf, I would say there's the security presence is 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 pretty minimal. There are a lot of checkpoints, particularly on the roads, um, outside any kind of Shia mosque or any kind of government building. There are obviously uh, checkpoints, and there's an and there's an armed presence. Baghdad is is relatively easy to to get around in. Getting in and out of the green zone is uh, it takes a very long time. But I I would think you know this is my first time coming here, but I would think that that's been the case since it since it since it was established. Yeah. What the, what the difference is in Baghdad? Although the the atmosphere is the atmosphere is is very very light in Baghdad. I I wouldn't say that it it feels oppressive or like a or like a city that's on lockdown by any stretch of the imagination. But what you do have there is anywhere where there are going to be large crowds of people gathered, 
is are very very extensive um, checkpoints where police are looking for suicide bombers. So not always long queues, but people but people are, are patted down and checked whenever they go in to make sure that there's nothing that's hanging around their around their middle uh, when they when they go into these places. And in, in, given that, and on, from a personal point of view, is, is it difficult to work as a journalist in a place like that? With, I mean, can you just walk around and get the stories you want to get, or do you need to be very careful? I think with all of these things, I imagine people have their uh, different reporters have their different limits, and they're weighing up different situations when they come across them. And someone who has been here for for longer than a week would <laughs> would definitely be able to answer that question better. I was only in Baghdad for for three or four days, and the whole time I was with a delegation, and we had um, we had fixers and security people who were who were making these decisions. But I yeah. don't. But I think if you have a meeting in Baghdad, if you want to go and if you want to go and talk to some to some normal people in in certain areas, I didn't see too many limitations in that sense. I think the nature of the of the threat is at some point, at some time, and government officials that we've spoken to have said, "Look, this isn't this isn't going to stop." anytime soon there's gonna a suicide bomb is is gonna go off and there's not there's not too much planning it's not it's not like there are it's not like there are there are kind of clashes erupting in the city and suddenly you find yourself you know stuck on stuck in one in one district or unable to travel down one road that isn't that isn't the way that things go here and and also we've not been close to anywhere where there's been any any sort of um explosion and an attack from what people have said, this is now such a kind of uh, such a fact of of daily life, unfortunately, that that things do return to normal relatively quickly after after something like that happens. Yeah, and I guess finally, I mean, what's the perception of amongst Iraqis of the West and how the West is responding to ISIS, and even even in your kind of one-on-one conversations with people as a foreign reporter? I actually don't find Iraqis talking about the West that often. I don't know if that's because of because obviously I'm a Westerner and they know and they don't want to they don't want to disagree with me. Um, that wouldn't be a problem for me. What what I what I hear the most, and this maybe speaks to the the influence of of regional powers in the country and also where I am uh, in Shia areas. There is some small criticism of Iran. Right. Although the country is broadly seen as being, I've been told that it was the first country to arm the popular mobilization forces. And this is seen as Iran coming to the aid of the Iraqi people before anyone else did. This is the, these are the terms that it's been described to me. And what the real criticism is for Saudi Arabia and the, and the, and the Gulf states. And particularly Saudi Arabia, they really see Islamic State as being influenced, funded, uh, and backed by uh, by Saudi and the Wahhabist ideology and yeah. doctrine that um, that the Saudi madrasas espouses as as being really a driving factor in the expansion of Islamic State in um, in Iraq. Thanks, Callum. Fascinating talking to you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for speaking to me, Orlando. Thanks for that, Callum. And now over to John. Okay, so I'm with John Reynolds. Uh, John is a journalist working on the issue of corruption in Iraq. He was last in Baghdad in 2012 and in Basra in 2011, but since then has been in Jordan and has met a lot of uh, Iraqi expatriates and is in daily contact with them, people on the ground um, over WhatsApp and various other media. Uh, welcome, John. Hi. Um, we, I mean, we're really interested, obviously, we've just spoken to Callum, our reporter, who was in uh, southern Iraq at the end of last year, um, and I'm really interested in kind of the dynamics there. Um, of course, everybody's talking about the north, about the war against ISIS, um, and perhaps that has um, clouded or, or obscured the fact that there's still, still really serious problems on the ground in the south. Um, we saw protests last year uh, in 2016, and... Um, they were mainly against the issues of corruption and so on. So, I mean, when you talk to your contacts out there, what are their major complaints? When you're looking at the South, the number of issues that have kind of come onto my radar, the first is a kind of a proliferation, if you like, of criminal gangs um, in and around Basra who you know, who are involved in, in kidnapping and, and kind of extortion there's there's been a big problem as well which is something else i've looked into in smuggling in of either fake or counterfeit medicines and that that obviously goes on to uh have repercussions for, for the health service and, and people's health and i think that's in, in and around basra i think that's probably one of the the, the main concerns and then, you know, aside from that is just probably the wider kind of political stagnancy. Also in Basra, you've got there's a kind of a continued debate around whether Basra might at some stage have some sort of independence to be able to have more control over its, over its own affairs. Because at the moment, in terms of its, its public services, you know, it's always having to request money from from the government in Baghdad and from the ministries there, you know, for money for basic resources, you know, education, health again, and, 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 and what have you. So I think they would be the, the main concerns there. 
Well, that's interesting because, of course, they're almost exactly the same demands that the Kurds have had in the north for that kind of independence from Baghdad. And it's interesting, of course, that Basra is a wealthy province, as is the Kurdish north. So it's almost like everybody wants to get away from this Baghdad kind of machine. This is true. I, I think they, they kind of, uh, you know, whether they're kind of looking at it from the point of view is that, that the grass is always greener, I don't know. But as you say, given that the, 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 that the majority of the oil wealth is, is centered in the south, there, you know, there seems to be a, a, a hope, you know, that if they were to have some sort of independence and more control over their affairs, you know, they would have perhaps kind of looser reins and to be able to use that money more, you know, more productively. But um, at the same time there, again, you know, you've also got the kind of the wider endemic corruption. And so how how those two uh, things would quite go together, you know, there hasn't really been any kind of vision or or anything like that explained by by anyone, I think, to the Iraqi people themselves. Um, and I think the the current governor in Baghdad, in Basra, sorry, um, started out, you know, I think having quite optimistic and quite noble aims. But there again, I think if you look on the ground and, and talk to people about their kind of daily experiences, um, he's been there, I think, a number of years now, and you know uh, the results that he's he's managed to achieve uh, are are not too great, um, going by what what my uh, contacts tell me. So when you're talking to people on the ground there, when we look at it here from the UK on the news, we tend to think about security and imagine that security is the major thing that people worry about in Iraq, that people want uh, an end to terrorism and so on, but. Would you say that from the people you're talking to, actually, perhaps even more than that is, is concerns about corruption? I, I think, yeah, I, I think, as you say, because, you know, because of what because of what's happened here in, in Europe and what have you and, and, and across the world. Yeah, I think I think we look we look at it. We look at Iraq through the kind of the lens of, you know, security and ISIS and, you know, obviously, for you know, for people living there, you know, their daily lives, for them, you know, it, it's it's the it's the you know the, the the horrific state of the public services, you know, under-resourced, underfunded, understaffed, and then you know their anger about that, you know, is is directed at the political corruption because you know they can see. Uh, and again, we we don't see this because it's in it's in, in Arabic, but um, on their kind of weekly and uh, and even nightly sometimes, you know, the equivalent of the Iraqi kind of news nights or you know current affairs programs, you know, they do still try to uncover and report on uh, political corruption there. Unfortunately, you know, it's becoming a lot more sensitive as well. Because obviously the the, the the politicians in power there, they, they don't you know they, they don't want you know they, they want as little of this reported as possible, obviously, and um, they don't want issues brought to light which might you know bring people out on the streets again, as they have been you know last year and, and the year before. Have people mentioned specifically the protests that we saw in I think it was May 2016 in the Green Zone? Um, they that that kind of made the news. Uh, even here, um, have people mentioned those and 
is there a sense that that we're we should expect more I think so yeah you can just tell you know from speaking to people and their daily experiences you know those during summer in Iraq you know the 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 frustration and the anger seems to build up in in in, in conjunction with the, the the rising temperature you know some uh, you know the, the rising sort of physical temperature you know some observers say and um, I uh, I think yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, given that there hasn't been really any change in the situation or if anything, you know, possibly things have worsened for people in their daily lives. I, I think we should we should definitely probably expect the, the, the same thing again, um, you know, at some point during this summer. It's interesting because Hyder al-Abadi seemed to come when he was elected and, and he took over after Nur al-Maliki, who was, you know, kind of renowned. Um, for corruption, Abadi tended to give this impression that there was kind of a new, a new dawn for Iraq, um, and yet it doesn't seem to have, have turned out like that. No, it's again it, with Iraq. You know, you you look at what's going on on the surface, and then the deeper you delve, and the more people you talk to, you know, the more you realise that a lot really hasn't changed from you know from talking to some senior uh, analysts and observers, you know, that I've been speaking to in my work. Maliki is still there in the background. He's still pulling various strings. Ministries and their staff are still still doing his bidding. Um, and when, you know, whenever Maliki is talked about, inevitably what will arise in the conversation is the question of Iran and his closeness to Iran and the 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 effect that um, that that has on uh, on 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 kind of the direction of affairs as well. So again, that's another kind of optic, if you like. You you have to um, introduce into the picture when when you're looking at Iraq, and you know it, it makes it a very complex uh, <laughs> com- complex subject. And, and place to, to, to look at and, and really try to understand. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my, my kind of concluding uh, question was going to be, I mean, Basra is very much in the Iranian sphere of influence. Um, do, do people feel that acutely on the street? I mean, is there more Iranian presence in the south of Iraq? And does, does it feel like they are, you know, maybe expanding their influence there? I think, yes, I think with the, you know, the, just physically, you know, geographically, they're closer to Iran and south, and obviously being Shia dominated as well, that's, that is part of the mindset. Uh, it's, it's quite, it's, it's difficult to understand how, you know, how much influence that is having over affairs in, in the south, um, for example, in, in, in relation to kind of Basra and its you know, it's it's governorship and, and control. I myself in, in in my 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 work and my research, you know, I, I haven't really been able to understand uh, how how much that is occurring in, in the south. But it's you know, I mean if if it's taking place in, in Baghdad where um you know where where Maliki still also seems to exercise his influence it, it, at some level, um he he must you know he must have people in the in the south as well that that are doing his bidding to some extent. I know he did. There was reports that he did visit Basra. I think in the last month or so. 
I think from what I understood, he he didn't, you know, he didn't perhaps get such a such a great welcome. Mm. Um, but you know that that wouldn't, you know, that really wouldn't kind of do anything not to suggest, you know, that he has he has he still has some influence there through other means, mm. uh, you know, just kind of under the surface, as it were. So that's the situation on the ground in Iraq at the moment. We've included rich links to Callum's reports from Karbala, Najaf and Baghdad in this podcast. So if you're listening on Acast, please be sure to go back and check them out. There's plenty more pieces on the war in Iraq on the website as well. So for more information, go to ibtimes.co.uk. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Next week, we're heading back to the States and looking at the inauguration of Donald Trump. Until then, take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.